things we're dealing with are threats to humanity unlike anything the world has ever seen before. We can bequeath our children a greener planet and a more prosperous future. That's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East Tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon East, Series 5. Just stop the Tories! Please. <laughs> this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. Like a Shakespearean performer there, Del, you were in before the green cue lighted. I can't see it, so that probably helps me. There is that. Uh, where should we start? I like this. Government-backed meat ad campaign targets Gen Z in Veganuary. I mean, is this the Tories doing something right, or have they massively missed something here? Well, look, we know that meat products are bad for us. They, they, they harm our health, and this is what they're promoting, meat and dairy. We know that they're driving the climate crisis, the, one of the top three causes of that globally. And we know that they're the top one, top single cause of uh, wildlife extinction, a massive global problem. We know that. This diet does those three things. So government promoting this diet to uh, Gen Z. I don't even know what Gen Z is, but I guess it's younger people. It's not us. It's not us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it looks odd. There's nothing right with this campaign. It's targeted in January to go head-to-head -head with the very popular Veganuary. And I have to say, I think it's really it's really bad of the government to do this, to do this at all, and to do it in, in January when we get uh, all of this good messaging about changing our diet for the better. They're spending £4 million. They're expecting to reach 97% of the population or something. You know, it's just all, all kinds of bad. Why can't the government get off their asses and do something good? Why can't we have a £4 million ad campaign from this government saying let's eat less meat and dairy it's kind of funny isn't it because i mean literally their own press release says that this <laughs> this is aimed at boosting the consumption of lamb beef pork and dairy products they might as well say this is aimed at setting fire to the f***ing world <laughs> That's it right. doesn't really if supposedly you are the greenest government ever why would you come out with that it's uh, i guess akin to drilling in the North Sea in the teeth of a climate crisis and, and the, you know, the international consensus that we can't have more fossil fuels if we're going to you know, get to net zero and deal with this climate crisis thing. This is a government that are wedded to the old ways of doing things, fossil fuels and red meat. That's what they're about. Fossil fuels and red meat. That's a Smith song, isn't it? It's got to be. <laughs> I don't know. What's happened? Sam says, uh, how should Labour respond to the 24 new oil and gas licenses issued? Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. I mean, Labour have already said that they won't rescind any licenses that have been given, but you know that's a that's a big picture position. I would imagine in government, if there are licenses that haven't been acted on, that they could rescind them. Uh, there are other ways to make drilling in the North Sea less economic. Anyway, I mean, it's already marginal when uh, global prices of oil and gas drop. The North Sea becomes marginal, which is why a lot of flaring happens. It's allowed in Britain. It's not uh, not allowed, for example, in Norway. And I think we've got another story about drilling and flaring coming up in a minute. But, you know, I think there are ways to make North Sea gas and oil uneconomic in terms of the new stuff that needs investment. I mean, it's marginal anyway. We had to give three billion pounds to that Norwegian energy company to uh, to open Rosebank, and it'll just be a loss-making project for British taxpayers. Yeah. So, yeah, they've, they've got options. 
A lot of people have got in touch as well with a kind of tacit concern over Labour being accused of a, a backward step over decisions to drop the £28 billion green investment pledge. Now, that doesn't mean to say they're going to stop doing it. They've just slightly backed away from the specific pledge. Is there anything that we should feel uncomfortable about here? My view is that uh, the election is Labour's to lose. The opinion polls suggest that. I think they're fearful of giving targets to the right-wing press and to the Tories, uh, particularly in the sphere of uh, public spending, which the Tories do make a lot of fuss about, ironically, considering the vast sums of money they waste and the uh, the massive increase in public debt since they came to power. It's more than doubled. We smashed through the trillion-pound marker under the Tories, and now we're over $2 trillion in terms of public borrowing. So when they talk about a Labour government coming in and being a bit profligate with money, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to look at them and think, really, this is pot pot kettle territory or something like that or shadow projection actually where you project onto your adversaries your own worst traits and in this case you know this current government have wasted a lot of public money uh here's another one uh, dale tory donors oil and gas company given north sea license (laughs) even though they were fined one hundred and fifty thousand quid for For illegal illegal (laughs) gas flare illegal flares that's what i read i thought well they're, they're not illegal are they flares yeah, yes, I think their dress sense is questionable, <laughs> I should add. Uh, illegal flaring. I mean, th- how do you tell that story as an anecdote? You know, everyone can talk about getting fined for speeding. What did you get fined for, Mick? Oh, illegal flaring. <laughs> what you do? Well, essentially set fire to the atmosphere. Yeah, they, they burnt a couple hundred... fifty thousand quid from the magistrate. <laughs> they burnt a couple hundred tons of gas because it's cheaper just to burn it than it is to collect it and pump it into the mains. And this is allowed in the North Sea because of the marginal economics I mentioned earlier. But it's not allowed in Norway, for example, where most of our gas comes from if it doesn't come from the North Sea. This whole North Sea stuff is just... Is just stupid it's a wedge issue it's the only thing the tories have got they're clinging onto it like a life raft in the english channel fuck them right we need, <laughs> we need an election to get rid of them there it they're is. so bad this is from stewart would you ever consider entering politics to push the green agenda further and why do you choose to support labor as opposed to the green party we've talked about this before but it is every now and again worth kind of re-establishing the reasoning there it's a good question and i have considered it and i did argue in um, the first version of my book that actually politics might be the next frontier for me because we had all the technology that we needed to to make the green transition the economics were on our side and and people were were increasingly, but what we were missing was politicians and governments that got it and did something about it. So I seriously considered that, decided about a year ago not to stand to try and become an MP and all that kind of stuff, but to be involved in politics in a different way, a kind of voice on the outside from industry, from green industry, with a kind of been there, done that, got the t-shirt backstory in terms of uh, energy, transport and food, and to make a difference that way. Why do I back Labour? Uh, and not the Green Party, is really because of our electoral system, to, to some extent, the, the, the Green Party can never win, uh, certainly not on the time frame that we, we need change, which is like uh, this year. You know, we haven't got a fat lot of time. And it, really, our system is Tories versus Labour. And, and Labour have embraced the Green Agenda. And, uh, you know, they've got social justice at the heart of the party as well. There's a lot of good things about Labour. And I think under this current leader, I think we could get a great outcome and the greenest government that we've ever had. Here's one that might uh, shock some people. Fossil fuel industries knew about climate danger as early as 1954. (laughs) Uh, These are documents revealing the industry was aware of the potential harm its products on the climate do. 
uh, as early as the mid-1950s. This is a parallel of big tobacco, isn't it? If you think about it, and if you look at it, in the 50s, you know, tobacco was a big deal. It was even sold as a healthy product. You know, back in the day, they had doctors endorsing smoking. Can you believe that? And then over a period of time, evidence really accrued around the health issues with smoking and stuff like that. But the big tobacco industry were in denial. They, you know, they, they fought it for, for, for decades. They buried the studies that they'd commissioned that showed that their product was killing people. They buried them. And this is a, this is a parallel. The fossil fuel industry have been doing this same thing for about 70 years or something. I think these guys will be in the dock for this, literally and metaphorically, uh, in the way that big tobacco has been as well, because these guys have driven the climate crisis knowingly. And all kinds of small states around the world at the moment are suing big oil companies and, uh, and others uh, for the impacts on, you know, I mean, their the lands are becoming unlivable. And, you know, they're saying, well, look, you've got to pay for this, guys, because you did this. This is great evidence that the fossil fuel industry knowingly put us all in this shit position. Uh, this comes from Will, says, Dale, loving the podcast, cycling around the five valleys lately. I've noticed the larger wind turbine, Nymphsfield, isn't turning anymore and getting closer to it. I can see the blades are feathered to not catch the wind. Is it in need of maintenance or is there something more happening? Uh, can you explain a bit more about the question, Dale? Yeah, so the, uh, the the windmill that we're talking about here is the first one that I built in 1996, and it's very old. It does break down from time to time. It's incredible that it's still going, right? I mean, uh, what's it? I can't do the maths now, but it's, you know, it's 30 years old or something. From time to time, it breaks down. But the feathering of the blades is what it does to avoid the wind turning the whole machine. And sometimes it does that because the grid is out. Sometimes it does it because the wind is too high. There can be other reasons for it. But it is one of our, I guess, least reliable machines because it's 30 years old. What is feathering of the blades? I mean, it, it sounds, sounds <laughs> like some kind of yeah. medieval event. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> We are going to the feathering of the blades. The Sounds like an Anne Summers party to me. Or it could be that. That's when the, the blades pitch so they can turn into the wind or out of the wind. Uh, when they turn out of the wind or feather, then they shed the wind and the wind won't drive them round. Ah, right. So it's a safety yeah. thing to stop the thing because it. if it's yeah. not meant to turn and it starts to turn, it will mess the whole thing up. That's right. And sometimes we're doing maintenance. We have to feather the blades as well. Yeah. Here's an interesting one. Australia is on track with climate targets needed to protect the Great Barrier Reef. Shock. It's a shock, of course, because we can talk about the ineptitude of governments in this country, but we ain't got nothing on what goes on down under because they've just been tearing up the place forever with a smile on their face. They have actually the, the biggest per capita producers of CO2 in the world. I mean, even bigger than the Americans. That's another surprise, but that's that's australia for you they have a huge consumption of fossil fuels but this is a good news story they made commitments to keep the reef off the danger list right um, which is it's not all that good is it just to keep it off the danger list you you think i would protect it i mean you know surely that would be do more thing. right just do more yeah, don't just keep it off the everybody around list. the world has heard of the great barrier reef i learned <laughs> about right. it when i was about seven years old at school the great barrier reef one of the great amazing natural things that happen on this planet happens to be in australia protect the bloody thing yes oh we've taken it off the danger list look what we've done down there boys we're protecting <laughs> the reef it's brilliant we're well, not really no and they had six mass bleaching events this century already due to climate change. Yeah, they, they keep dicking around with when they're going to reduce emissions. And is it like a kind of a, 
a game in their parliament. What do you reckon, mate? Should we go 2030? Should we go 2050? <laughs> yes. Let's go 2045. It's like that. I think Australia are kind of, I think, like everywhere in the world, they're making a transition just from, a you know, let's say, a lower starting point than some other countries. There are vested interests over there. There are vast reserves of fossil fuels that you know vested interests want to use. But the country itself has got the most enormous resource of solar and wind. I mean, you know, sure. it could be a renewable energy superpower if they had any close neighbors to ship stuff to which they probably don't that's true there's only new zealand and they don't like each other and they're not very big right i mean it's a tiny population yeah new zealand's like watford (laughs) they've got their own wind and sun as well but you know australia come on you've got so much wind and sun you don't need fossil fuels this in from rosie what are you cooking up with chris packham uh, I think this is based on a what some saw as a cryptic tweet that you put out this week. <laughs> I guess I think that's fair. It was cryptic uh, for a reason, which is uh, not ready to say. Sorry, Rosie. Yes, nothing can be said at the moment. It's under wraps. Is that the? Is that? <laughs> but it's fun. That's it, basically. But you know, I mean, I, I like Chris. We we meet from time to time. We've got the same outlook uh, on on the same things, and yeah, we're planning some uh, stuff, uh, some stuff, stuff that we can do together. Yeah, stuff, stuff. is stuff, Rosie. Yeah. And this one, Dale, uh, final story. Millions of households in England will still be in fuel poverty by the end of the decade. Yeah, paying about 500 quid more for their energy than they you know, would otherwise if, if the government got its finger out and did more on energy efficiency. Uh, but you know, these are people trapped in cold, damp, uh, really unhealthy homes as well. It's not just about money on their bills. It's, uh, it's actually a health issue. This government been shy at energy efficiency. No surprise there. The next government, I think, will be better. I think Labour pledged six billion a year recently on on this issue. But in in related news, we've done a study and we haven't put it out yet. I think that'll come out next week. We looked at Cameron's decision to scrap the zero carbon homes code. This is for new build. It was about 10 years ago. And the whole industry had got together on a voluntary basis and had designed new homes that would be zero carbon. And they were ready to build them. Cameron came along, called it green crap, and scrapped it. Really um, knew his stuff, that fella, didn't he? <laughs> oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> Cameron's brilliant. I'm, I'm glad he's back, right? I mean, he's a, he can only help, uh, but, but, but not the Tories. We looked at the cost of this this stupid move, and it's nearly three billion pounds added to energy bills of all the new build homes that have happened since he scrapped this program. Nearly three billion quid, and um, and it urgently needs reversing when the next government comes in because we're going to build two or three hundred thousand homes a year, and they should be built to the very best standard that we can do. And you know, there wasn't an extra cost issue. The the house building industry was ready to do this, so it was just incredible bollocks from Cameron to do that. Final question from Heather: How are you getting on with the Just Vote campaign, Dale? What do I say? It's evolving. We we keep diving into data to see where the you know where the important issues are, the demographics that we need to reach, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're looking at government voter ID legislation, how best to reach people, but which people to reach and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, we're working with uh, Sachin Sachi, which is really exciting, very creative guys. We're looking at the mayoral election in May because th- there's a very similar issue. We just need people to get out and vote. But you know, for a lot of people who don't have voter ID, that's going to be a challenge. And, and we you know we. I would say it's a work in progress. We will have more to say later. And there it is. Uh, and that is it for this episode, Dale. We'll, uh, we'll speak next week. That went real fast. Indeed. <laughs> Stand by, of course, <laughs> to follow this podcast. Make sure you do that from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Uh, here's the biggie as well. Follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on TikTok. Two. Two.
Zero. Carbon. East off.